Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 17. We're going to be joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. I don't know about you, but it's No Shave November down here in Fort Worth, Texas, and I didn't even try. I look like a mountain man lumberjack at the moment. Not sure when the razor will hit the face, but I think it's coming. I digress. I want to make sure everyone knows that we're both VMware solution engineers looking to bring you the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. Hopefully the discussions we have will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great. Nick, how's that opening for you? Well, this is iteration number 17. I feel like I feel like it's coming along. I like it. Yes, excellent. Excellent. Um, maybe we'll uh, do our uh, first version as a stinger today. So there you go. If you want to listen to our first version that we tried out that didn't quite work out, then we'll, we'll drop it in at the end. I just now stopped laughing before we started this one. Okay. Okay. Well, that's a little tease. <laughs> uh, this week's topic, it is part two of reasons to not pursue a career opportunity. Last week, we talked about um, a framework for filtering out opportunities to apply for, to not apply for, or to down select, you know, from all the universe of opportunities uh, before applying. And this week, we're going to be talking about doing the same thing while you're interviewing and then after the offer. So two different stages. So let's jump right into it. So reasons to not pursue a career opportunity while you're in the interview process. So you've already started to talk to the hiring manager, um, to the HR screen, maybe to teammates. Um, you're, you're somewhere in that interview process and you're looking for reasons to rule out this opportunity um, or something pops up. What, what, is it that uh, you should be looking for? So we're going to use the same framework uh, from manager tools that we talked about last week. The manager tools uh, lens was um, several factors here, compensation, values, industry stability, reputation of the organization, opportunities for the organization, locations that the organization has, uh, financials of the organization, customer base, and then the unspoken one, which was hinted at, which is culture. So let's uh, jump right into that. I think that there's, you know, a lot of those things we talked about, reasons to, to rule out opportunities before you apply. Um, some of those you're going to start to hone in on during the application process. Obviously, you're doing your best to try to get the job, um, but there's some things that come up um, out of that list that you really should be focusing in on during the interview process. And the first one that we're going to talk about is culture, right, Nick? Yes, sir. You got to love company culture. And, you know, when, if you go back and listen to the episode that Tom Delicati had, he was able to get some of that information online, but there's only so much you can get without talking to the people who work at the organization. What would you ask about the culture, John? What would you want to know? Yeah, I think that there's some things that I would ask that don't have um, really good, you know, straight answers. It's it's really about things that emerge um, from discussion with people. Um, 
I think that there's some things that have to do specifically with the team that you're going to be working on. Um, and so maybe we could dive into that first is the, you know, the group of people that you're going to be working with, um, that match or mismatch is, is really, really important. You and I are both solution engineers. Um, so the solution engineering team, uh, your, your peers are somebody, your people that you're going to be working with. Your manager is going to be somebody that you're going to be interacting with. Um, but the salespeople that you represent or are partnered with are maybe the most important team members for a sales engineer, system engineer, solution engineer, whatever you want to call it. So um, that match or personality match or mismatch is going to be one of the more important things um, that you have to deal with. Sometimes there's just, you know, things that don't have to do with personality. I would say things that I've come across or heard about, this is not like a personal thing, but stage of life mismatch. If you're on a team that's that's in an office, um, maybe everybody else is married and they don't socialize. They have a, you know, strict, um, no socializing, you know, culture, everybody goes home, but you are somebody who is uh, looking to socialize with uh, work, uh, team members. And, and that's a really important thing that, you know, value that you have. And if, if that team, you know, just doesn't share that, that value, then, then that might be a reason to, you know, it might be not a reason to not pursue anything, but it might be, you know, a consideration that you take or, or, you know, vice versa, everybody else does socialize, um, you know, and they, maybe they socialize in a way that, doesn't agree with you, or maybe you've got a rich uh, family life and community that you don't really um, mix with work and, and you don't have the time to, to bring that in. So um, that's, that's uh, maybe something to keep, keep in mind. Um, you know, again, I don't have personal experience with that, but you know, something to keep in mind. Uh, maybe another one is attitude of, of the team. Um, and that could be energy level. They're high energy and you're low energy. They're all extroverts and you're an introvert. Um, you know, again, that maybe is a little bit about personality match or mismatch. Um, it just depends on, on how you get along. But maybe there's other things like perception of the manager, you know, perception of the company. Um, how about growth mindset? You know, everybody you know, is, is just happy and they, they don't want things to change. Uh, whereas you're looking for new challenges and for an evolving situation. Um, I think one of the questions that uh, we identified in earlier podcasts was something along the lines of what keeps you here? Um, and what if nobody on the team can answer that question in a way that makes any sense? That was a really big deal for you, right, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I asked that question and every when I came to VMware, before I came to VMware rather, and everybody, you know, had had a very good answer. You know, what if what if the person just says, well, to be honest with you, I, you know, I enjoy a steady paycheck and I've done this job for 20 years. That may not, if that's the whole team, then that may not be a reason to do it. But, you know, I've been to customers that, Hey, I've been here for 12 years because I really believe in the mission and the goals of this organization. They very much align with my personal goals, you know, very much along the, the values conversation we had last week. And yeah. that was a strong reason for people to stay. Good stuff. Yeah, totally agree with that. It's interesting because 
culture and values of the organization can be one thing, but the culture and values of the team within the organization can be something completely different, right? So um, unfortunately, when you are working for a manager or with a team, the the culture and values of the team can override maybe positive, you know, the negative culture and values of the team can override the positive culture and values of the organization as a whole. Um, so the, the organization as a whole might represent something that you truly believe in, but the people you work with, you know, have such a negative attitude that you, you know, it, it's a powerful disincentive to even join the organization. So that's, it's just a red flag. You know, if, if nobody's going to really come out and say, well, I hate it here and I hate the people that I work with and you're interviewing with one of the worst managers that we have, right? That's never going to happen, (laughs) but, uh, but it can be hinted at and, you know, with asides or eye rolls or, or, you know, things like that. And, um, and you can maybe leverage some, some back channel uh, connections that you have, you know, within the company to say, Hey, you know, I had this weird thing happen on this team. You know, again, if you knew somebody there already, you know, what do you think is going on there? And and that's really all about the network if you have the network. Yeah. And maybe that's a reason to bust out your phone and say, hey, I'm going to record this interview. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) I think what you're telling our listeners is that they should record the interviews so that they can play them back and see all of the nonverbal cues that they missed during the interview while they were nervous, right? Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it just popped into my head. But you know, it's interesting, John, when we talk about the team, we talk about expectations, right? You can find out a lot about the expectations of you in this role by people on the team. Ask them, what, what would you as my future teammate expect of me in the role in, you know, how we would communicate, support one another, that kind of thing, and find out what they expect from the manager. Because, you know, if they expect something from the manager that, the you know, that maybe the manager <laughs> isn't doing, then that, that could tell you some things right there that maybe they don't get along well with the manager or, or the opposite. Maybe they really, really like the manager, but it's, it's, asking similar questions and getting those different perspectives that help you paint a picture of the entire situation. Yeah, definitely. I I think um, what's really interesting is, you know, the manager is going to have one view of what the managerial role is of, you know, managing the team. But when you ask the teammates, what is it that you expect from the manager and, you know, how are you getting that? Then you get either a confirmation or, you know, a conflict or, or something along that. At least you get two contrasting views, you know, maybe complementary views. So you have a better view in general of, of what's going on on that team. I also think that um, <laughs> it's a really powerful thing to ask somebody to imagine you on the team and, and imagine those expectations and you fulfilling those expectations. So, that's a kind of a, a way to force the person to imagine you as a teammate. So if I was, you know, your teammate doing, you know, the things that you needed me to do, what would that look like? So then they're imagining you in that role looking like it. So you're, you're, 
you're improving your chances of of being in that role by forcing them to imagine you in that role. Maybe I shouldn't say that too many times because that's just something that I, I use all the time. No, but it's a good tactic. I mean, a little subtle psychology there that the interviewer may not realize, but you're you're helping them see you in the role. It's good. I like it. It's worth mentioning multiple times. Definitely. And I think one of the last things that we we wrote down in our notes ahead of time was uh, proximity. Um, and there's a couple of different aspects of that. You know, obviously there's the logistics of, of work and, and hopefully you've taken that into account, you know, whether it's going to be close or far and whether the compensation compensates you adequately for your, your travel to and from work. But, but what about cultural aspects of proximity? You know, does everybody have office space, but they, they're never there. So you, or somebody who wants to be in an office surrounded by people and have a buzz, you know, does the office that you're going to be working in have that? Um, or does everybody always work remote and, and you never uh, see them and you never, you know, interact with them that way? Um, or maybe it's 100% remote work anyway. And, and, you know, you never see people or, or their style of interaction is to be not only uh, remote, but, they actually never connect anyway. And what you want is more interactivity and connection. It might be interesting to ask what kind of collaboration tools are they using for people who work remotely or if it's a completely remote team? How, how can we keep in touch with one another so that the proximity is not a detriment to you know, us adding value to each other as teammates? Yeah, yeah. Especially... Uh, important for those remote work situations. And then if, you know, you are, you know, obviously most uh, situations don't involve 100% remote work. You know, if you're in an office, what is that office space like? You know, how, how do you, you know, you might want, you know, lots of interactivity with your team, but, you know, are you all crowded together? Are you sitting shoulder to shoulder? Uh, do you all need to wear headphones in order to, you know, not, um, be in each other, each other's business or on each other's phone calls. Like, you know, um, all those things need to be taken into account. So, you know, just a, a framework for thinking about the team and talking to the team. And do they have beanbag chairs at the office? I mean, that's a logical question. Critical. Yeah. And then, and if they do have beanbag chairs, are they actually real beans or, or are they filled with foam? Because that, that's just second rate. Second rate, I tell you. That's a good point. That give you some idea of company budgets. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the manager, like uh, that interact interaction while you're going through the interview process. You know, I, I would say, you know, the very first things again, it's very similar. It's um, personality match or mismatch. Um, are you getting along during that interview process? Do you seem to be? Uh, vibing, I don't know, uh, you know, on the same page, have values match, both have a similar understanding of what your capabilities are and, and how appropriate and matching that is to the role. Right. And then I think, you know, me personally, I'm a little bit selfish. I'm looking for things. Um, I'm already projecting myself into the role. Right. So I want to know how successful I'm going to be and how committed the company is in me being successful and growing. So, you know, development, 
mentoring opportunities, me being mentored, you know, and then if I have things to add back to the team, you know, or other people in the organization, me mentoring them. So that, you know, those are things that maybe I'll ask about. Um, I want to hear about, you know, when they're volunteering their thoughts about the organization um, and, and things like that. So does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something that just popped in my head is, the professional development and mentoring opportunities are something you could also ask the team. You know, if you're interviewing with a fellow future teammate, ask about that. How's your professional development journey been? Have you been able to mentor other people? You know, and they can tell you, well, yeah, that's something I want to do, but it's not really encouraged here. So it might give you something to think about. And, you know, to your point, what is the management style of this person that you would be working for? Cause you're going to get to, know them a little bit, a little bit about their personality, what they like, don't like, uh, I would just ask them directly, what's your management style? Oh, well, I'm, I'm kind of hands off. You know, I like to make sure I have a one-on-one with my employee once a week so that they can provide me feedback and, and I can provide them feedback. Or maybe it's, we need to have a, a touch point every day just because of the nature of this job. And, you know, we're in a support organization and we need to make sure that we have aligned the things we're doing for the day. It's not a micromanagerial thing. It's just what we need to do to, to keep our priorities straight. And, you know, how, how will my success be measured as an employee? Ask the manager that what does good look like? And they should be able to give you some ideas of what the measurements are for success and, and maybe some examples of what their team members are doing to be successful. And we talked a little bit about proximity earlier, but how close to where you work will the manager be? Are you going to work in the same building, same location, cube next door? Or will this manager work in another state, another city, from home, different location? That's going to affect some things. It's going to affect how often you see them in person. And it's probably going to affect the ways in which you want to communicate. And what what does a typical one-on-one look like with this manager? You know, how, how do they see that going? And uh, hopefully you listen to episode 12 about what an effective one-on-one with a manager might be like and can consider some of those concepts when you talk to a manager about this. And is that going to line up with what's good? <laughs> I think that, um, that, you know, one of those questions that you might want to ask in that situation is, you know, I think you touched on a frequency, right? And, and what the structure of those one-on-ones actually looks like. So I think I've been in jobs where there was no defined one-on-one time period and, and it was almost seen as a, uh, a triumph to get a weekly 30 minute discussion. And, uh, and that's just not a good position to be in, right? Um, there, there needs to be one-on-one time with your direct manager. I also would want to say that we talked about a hiring manager interviews a couple times already. So you might want to go back and review what we uh, talked about in episode two, which was uh, HR and hiring manager early process interviews. And then episode 11, we had a, a list of questions to ask in an interview um, uh, from the Washington Post that, the, you know, really, really good. Uh, information that can be gleaned. Uh, I think we talked about some of them, measures of success, for example. So with that in mind, let's move on. I think uh, logistics 
was uh, something that we wanted to talk about as well. Absolutely. And logistics can be something about time expectations. You know, what are the times that I'm expected to be in the office or quote at work if I'm working remotely? Is it, you must be here from eight to five or, Hey, we work from home on Wednesdays and, and that's fine. You know, am I going to have to travel to other locations in the area that I can drive to? Am I going to have to fly to a different location every so often? And, you know, what about commuting? If I'm commuting for work, is mileage covered? Is our tolls covered? You know, is the cost of gas in there? Is there any kind of stipend just based on what my commute will be because it's a longer commute than my previous job? Things you need to factor into that. And how how often am I going to be traveling to different locations? Is it to service a customer, an end user, uh, for training every so often? All those kinds of things you need to have an idea of. Hopefully the job description will give you some idea here, but still want to ask. Yeah, it, definitely that, that commute uh, thing. Almost no job is going to pay you to commute to and from an office, right? Um and, and that seems obvious on its face, but it's not actually necessarily true. A lot of organizations will have allow you to, as part of a compensation package or part of a program, you know, pay you some kind of small stipend to use public transportation as opposed to a car. So there's situations where, you know, that can be part of, you know, what your total compensation package could look like. So, you know, later on in the process, you know, maybe that would be a little bit more appropriate after the offer to 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 get the details on those types of things. Uh, and I only say that, you know, it's maybe more appropriate after the offer because it's that's something that most people aren't going to, most hiring managers aren't going to have off the top of their head. It might be something to ask to the HR person who's handling this uh, hiring and interview process rather than the hiring manager. Uh, they might know a little bit more about benefits, employee benefits. So, um, yeah, and hopefully, you know, it's obvious way <laughs> much, much earlier on if this job, you know, requires a lot of travel. Uh, usually it'll be marked in the job, you know, 30% travel, 40%, 50%, 70% travel. And and in this interview process, you figure out what that means. You know, if that means uh, 70% of your hours of work are going to be um, in different states, or if it means, you know, 70% of the days you're going to, you know, drive to our customer site, which is 15 minutes away from the office. You know, those those are two different extremes of 70% travel, right? So um, you need to figure out what that is. Sure. And the the logistics piece and paying for tolls, that kind of thing, that might be something you use as a negotiating tactic if you get the offer and it's not maybe exactly what you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. You could say, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm driving a little bit further. Um, you know, I, I'm this many, you know, this many dollars and tolls away from the office. So, um, you know, as compensation, I'd like to, you know, just have you increase your offer, you know, uh, by this much to compensate me for that. But Again, that might be, you know, after the offer. And if you're in the interview process, if they just indicate, oh, yeah, you know, those are things that we, you know, just don't take into account, then it maybe it's a reason to downselect the opportunity, right? So let it, let's transition to after the offer. Um, 
And again, we're going to use the manager tools lens, compensation, values, industry stability, reputation, opportunities, location, uh, financials, customer base, and culture. Um, so I think probably at this point, your focus is going to be mostly on compensation, you know, values and culture ma- match. Um, but it is probably time to to take a deeper look at the financials of the organization and uh, the opportunities or, or maybe the customer base, you know, how healthy the organization is as a whole. Um, so, you know, dive into that. But let's uh, also look at this. We have an alternative lens uh, from the Washington Post uh, jobs blog. Once again, shilling for them, how to decide between two equally great job offers. Um, so your situation might not be, you know, evaluating two equally great offers, but um, the metrics that they're using to compare um, the job offers are, are also really interesting to uh, uh, alternative metrics. So um, the first was uh, evaluate your candidate experience. Like I, I'm pretty passionate about this um, because you know, I don't know, this gets me fired up because I've, I've had a couple people that I've referred to work at organizations where they aren't treated with respect necessarily. And, you know, maybe they're not called back and in a timely way. And, and it burns me up because, you know, that is the organization representing to the person, you know, this is how we act. Um, you know, would we treat a customer that way? I hope not. Would we treat an employee that way? I hope not. So, that whole aspect of hiring, you know, we need to, you know, theoretically treat candidates the same way that we would treat employees and customers, right? So timeliness of reply, respect and courtesy, and then quality of communication and, and meeting deadlines that we say that we're going to meet. Hey, I'll, I'll give you a call back uh, within 48 hours. Okay. Well then call back within 48 hours. <laughs> and, and I kind of think, if you're treated a certain way, like lots of delays, not meeting commitments um, during the interview process, that's probably a pretty good indication that that's how you're going to be treated if you join the organization. So if you have an offer, think about how you were treated during that hiring process. And, and maybe hiring managers don't want me to say that <laughs> because, you know, it's rough to, to treat people that way. Um, you know, as if they're all going to be candidate, uh, you know, members of the team and maybe you have, you know, two different tiers, right? Well, if that's the case and you're hiring manager, then maybe you should, you know, set looser SLAs for, for when you're going to call somebody back. Um, wow. I'm just jargoning it up, right? Service level agreement, right? (laughs) I don't know, Nick, does that jive with what you're thinking? It absolutely does. But I was wanting to interject to get John off the soapbox real quick. But <laughs> think about, you know, was the process well organized? Very much like he said, you know, when you meet with the recruiter the first time, hopefully they told you the process involves these steps. And on average, it takes maybe this many weeks or this many days. And if it hasn't gone that way or hasn't been organized in that fashion, that could be a sign of the onboarding process not being very well organized either because HR has a role there. The hiring manager has a role there. So, you know, just something to think about. And did you ever get asked about your professional goals? We talked about that a little bit earlier, but 
if you don't get asked, is that a sign that maybe the it's not important to the organization? Very true. Very, very true. Washington Post also says, um, recommends a, an introspection step, right? What's important to me? Uh, coming up with a prioritized list, uh, you know, compensation certainly is going to be on their title uh, opportunity to travel or not travel if that's important to you. Um, you know, if you're on a traveling team, who owns the perks, who gets the mileage, who gets, you know, the status, is that all going to the company or is it something that you actually crew yourself? Um, prospects for growth. I mean, that's for me, that, that was critically important, right? Um, growing, not necessarily, you know, beyond the role, but just, you know, I want to professionally grow and gain skills and, and be a, a better version of what I'm doing. So, um, that has to be in the mix. Uh, and then uh, again, opportunities for mentorship management, uh, we logistics, we talked about that a little bit. Work-life balance could be one thing, stability of the, the organization. So again, we talked a lot about values in episode 16. So I think that, you know, all those things are metrics that you need to do to evaluate, you know, the offer and decide, you know, is this something that's worth taking? Is this, uh, you know, a good step for me? And one thing I'll add there, the article mentioned take some time to think it through. I don't, I don't know how long the normal amount of time they give you is 24 or 48 hours. They mentioned if you have multiple offers, you know, make sure you have plenty of time to think it through. But when you do have the time to think it through, try and turn off the rest of your distractions to really sit down and spend some time thinking about what you're going to do, weighing the pros and cons and, you know, even if you don't get something done that you need to, this is really important. It affects your future. You, you need to set aside that time. Don't don't forget to do that so you don't jump into something without really thinking it through and then there's not much you can do about it. You don't want that. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. You need to block off time in your calendar. You know, just make it a priority to really do this evaluation. And um, I don't want to say like, remove emotion, but you don't want to get too emotional. You know, you want it to be a logical decision. So, uh, another thing, uh, was to get outside advice. Um, and there's an important part about having a, a circle of trust here, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and in your circle of trust, those would be the people that you would tell the entire story to share with them, you know, everything that's on the table, probably. And kind of get their take. You don't want to tell this to the whole world. Just trusted advisors. But I think that within this mix that we call the inner circle, you want people who know you from different circles and activities in your life. Someone who is more keyed into your industry or has a good working relationship with you, knows the things that you're interested in professionally, but also those people that know you really well personally, whether that's a family member or a close friend and someone who knows your values, what's important to you. And, you know, ask that person, do you think this is in line with my values? Because it, it seems to be from everything I can evaluate, but a good baseline mix of, of all those types of people so that you can get the true picture of what could be. Yeah. I really like having the idea of that, you know, trusted third party, 
who can tell you, oh no, like, you know, you're letting money override, you know, your values, um, or you're letting the prestige of this title override, you know, too much work when you told me, you know, two weeks ago that work-life balance was the most important thing. So it, it really is a good thing to have a, a, a check on that. And, um, you know, maybe run it by a mentor. Uh, and then maybe like, you know, having that industry, you know, somebody who's in the industry, but isn't necessarily uh, working for the same organization who can help you to evaluate um, what's going on. And then, oh, we had actually an article from our buddy, John Nicholson. He wrote this blog post, uh, so you're thinking about taking an offer, what do you need to know? And that had just a really, just a, a wealth of information about evaluating an offer that we're, we're not going to, you know, go over point by point, but, you know, evaluating, you know, the different parts of compensation, um, what total compensation you know, really means from salary to benefits to paid time off to sick days to bonuses to stock options to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all the things to evaluate and um, really just a, a great article. Uh, so we highly recommend that. And we're going to put a link in the show notes as always. And if you haven't listened to the other 10 Manager Tools podcasts, you can still do that. And read this article as well. Just add that to the list, including the Washington <laughs> Post article we linked above as well. Uh, as far as I know, John is not part of the marketing team for the Washington Post, but who knows, that may change. Yeah, I was telling you, you know, we don't have an affiliate uh, link, but maybe we should have an affiliate link to Manager Tools. <laughs> we keep on telling people to go listen to their stuff so often. Um, so turning down an offer... Like, let's maybe dig into that process because, you know, that is what's going, what this means at this point, right? You're in the position where they've extended an offer and maybe you found a reason to not take it. So what does that look like? Um, it is important to stay on good terms um, with a company, with a hiring manager, with a recruiter and, and just uh, and uh, make sure that it's, even if it is, it's a no, it's a no in a positive way. Um, of course, Manager Tools has a, a podcast on this, right? Uh, it's called, oddly enough, Declining an Offer. And we'll put a link there. Um, you know, their, their points there are to, to do it directly, uh, either in person or on the phone. Um, the important words to say are, I'm declining your offer. Um, and then, of course, be professional and positive and, and thank them and, and maybe even give a, send a thank you note you know, for, for the process. Um, I think you, you want to definitely be honest and give some reasons about why you're saying no. Now you, you can't divulge every single thing. You're probably not going to say, Oh, I'm going to work for company XYZ instead, but you know, they, they want some feedback on why someone they thought was a really strong candidate said no, because that feedback could help them improve in the future. You know, hey, I really appreciate you thinking of me enough to offer me this. I, I'm just going to have to decline this time for these reasons. I, I don't think you just leave it as I decline. Thanks. That's my personal take. People may disagree with that. No, I, I totally understand why you're saying that. I think that you don't 
um, there's a fine line there. You don't want to burn bridges. You don't want to say, you know, I'm declining your offer. It was not for enough money. Um, you can just, you know, say something a little bit more generic, like, you know, for where I am in my career, it just didn't seem to be the right move. Uh, but I certainly appreciate, you know, everything that you've done and, you know, the entire process was, was incredibly positive for me. Um, but yeah, I'm going to have to decline the offer. Uh, I, I think that you, you want to, again, leave the door open for future opportunities. Uh, maybe they just had a, a mismatch of your idea, their idea of your seniority or your skill set. And so they thought that they could get you for one level of compensation and, and it's just a total mismatch. Or maybe, um, they're, you know, at the very end, you found out, you know, something about their travel requirements and, you know, it said, 30% travel, but what that meant was 30% of the time you're going to be on a different continent and you thought it was 30% of the time you would get, you know, be in the next metro area over with a 90-minute drive home. Um, you know, those types of things happen at the very end and and you can just say, hey, there's a mismatch in expectations and, and my understanding, uh, but yeah, I'm going to have to decline the offer. One thing I'll add there is make sure you tell them that you're declining this offer and not looking for a counter offer because they might get the impression that you're declining it because you want more money or something else, but it's a no and it's, it's a no, let's not spend any more time on this part ways here. Yeah. I would have to say that by the time you get to the offer, like if they, you know, have given you a formal written offer um, that, probably, you know, the compensation level was already where it was, right? Um, so, you know, if they say, hey, it's going to be X and what you need is X plus 15%, then you probably would have told them before they actually wrote it up and got you an offer letter. Um, so if you say, hey, actually, you know, X plus 15% is really kind of my minimum. And they're like, oh, we can't do that, but we're going to extend you the offer and then you can decide whether or not to take it. Well, that that's what you're doing. You're deciding not to take it, right? Um, so I think that it's a, it's a really good point that if they said, hey, we can't go that high, and uh, but we're going to send you the offer, you decide, and then you decide no. And they say, well, what if we get up to that number? Well, you know, now we're back to, you know, are they treating with you honestly, right? Um, they said they couldn't do it and you should just believe them. But if they said they couldn't do it and they actually could have done it, then <laughs> what's going on? How, how, how does that color the rest of your relationship, you know, with that manager, with that organization um, moving forward? How, you know, that's a terrible place to start from. So um, I don't know. I think that, you know, there's a, a, a large number of reasons to, to turn down an offer. And I think it's always very personal, right? Um, so however, the way that you do it is going to reflect on you and it's going to be part of your brand in the industry. So you always want to be positive and professional and, and a, appreciative of their time because if you've gotten to this point they've put a lot of time and effort into um getting you an offer so 
you know, you want to leave them uh, thinking positively of you and thinking, oh, you know, we, we let one get away and that's too bad. Um, maybe next time with this person, right? So that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, and just like in the episode about leaving an organization, doing something silly or making someone upset at this stage can really ruin your reputation because you don't know if there might be a future opportunity at this company. So don't don't be that guy or gal. Yeah, absolutely. Or who knows if you know if you if you go somewhere else and then that manager moves over and becomes your manager at that new organization, right? Bingo. Um, just yeah, just the you you want to maintain that professional positive reputation wherever you go. Um, you know, just as you would rule out an organization or a manager for having a bad reputation. You know, you know your reputation is going to precede you in uh, in other organizations as well, right? So. Um, just be as, as positive as possible. And, uh, and you, you want people to think good things of you wherever you go. Uh, well, Nick, I think that's it for that segment. And as a result, all the topics we had planned, uh, anything else pop into your mind while we talked? You know, if you're someone out there who isn't sure if they should turn down an offer and you need extra members of that inner circle, there's no reason you can't reach out and DM at Nerd Journey to take advantage of the John White School of Mentoring so that you can figure out if you're on the right path and hopefully make the right decision. But we're here for you, seriously, collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. We, we definitely want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. And honestly, we're really curious about this episode as a part two do you think we covered everything? Is there anything that you wanted to hear about that we didn't cover? Let us know. Tweet it out at Nerd Journey. We'd love to hear feedback, good or bad. Yeah, definitely. And uh, as Nick pointed out last week, you know, this entire subject came about from a listener question. So um, if you have an interesting question, uh, definitely reach out to us and we'll do our best to cover it and, and have an interesting take on it. You know, somebody uh, asked us something and it turned into a two-parter. So that might be more than you actually want to hear. <laughs> but anyway, farewell listeners. Uh, tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at B Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore signing off. Adios. Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 17. We're going to be joining you every week. Okay, I can't do it that. I can't, cannot, cannot maintain that. <laughs> I, can't, I can't, I can't even concentrate. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs>